Welcome to Beyond the Bullet Points, a podcast from Stoddard's Ranging Guns, where Ken Bay explores the personalities, histories, and drive behind Stoddard's brands and the organizations it supports. Jason Kuhn owns an ammunition manufacturing company, Specialty Cartridge, which manufactures Atlanta Arms ammo. He went from a career as a professional shooter for brands like Heckler & Koch, HK, and Sig Sauer to manufacturing ammo. Now he manufactures ammo for the Secret Service, the FBI, the Marines, the Army Marksmanship Team, Border Patrol, and for the commercial market. We sat down to discuss what ammo you should use in your gun, what makes his ammo different, and to discuss his journey from shooting ammo competitively to manufacturing ammo for law enforcement, competitors, and others. Still Atlanta Arms, I know you've changed the name. Yeah, the company that actually, I started the company that uh, owns the Atlanta Arms line probably a year and a half or two years before I bought all the old Atlanta Arms and ammo stuff. Uh, that, that company has been specialty cartridge since day one, started out working on um, primarily specialty items like uh, long-range rifle and match pistol stuff. And the Atlanta Arms and Ammo thing, you know, I never really bought the company more than I bought the um, the assets. There was, you know, that the company had been in a horse barn for the last 25, 30 years and, and needed to move out of there. There was more value in kind of blending that with my company than there was, uh, you know, buying that old company out. I understand you started as a junior shooter in Archery, do I have that right? That's you, correct. And you were one of the top five ranked junior shooters? Yeah, I started out pretty young, maybe probably 14, 15, uh, just looking for something to do. I didn't have a single person in my family that hunted, fished, anything like that. But a couple of my friends all uh, all were into archery. And so, you know, after using their stuff for a while, I finally convinced my parents to let me buy a bow. And uh, six months later, my dad took me to, I think it was a national championship, and I finished uh, second there in the first real major competition I'd been to. I'd shot plenty of competitions before that, but that was the first competition of any size. And that rolled into, uh, I got an archery coach. My archery coach uh, was into bullseye shooting, and he got me into bullseye shooting, and that got me into shooting um, IPSC at the time because the guy that built my bullseye guns was a world champion IPSC shooter. And just on a whim, my bullseye or my archery coach was going to a bullseye tournament in Oklahoma. And uh, he said, man, do you want to you try this? And I'm like, I've never shot a gun in my life. And he's like, well, just try it. And I was scared to death of the thing. But the principle behind shooting a handgun for bullseye was the same as archery. I mean, it, and it was, it, to me, it was easy. It was, it was a lot more simple. Um, it was a lot easier to do than archery. So I kind of just, you know, picked it up being lazy more than anything. I didn't have to spend near the time training that I did in archery that I, that I now had to do with bullseye. It just made my life simple. And you started competitively shooting for HK and, you shot for SIG? Yeah, I shot for SIG uh, about a year and a half or two years, maybe 2000, gosh, seven through 2009. Um, and then got recruited by HK. I stayed at HK through, from 2009 through about 2014, somewhere in there. 
Interesting. What was it like for shooting for HK and, and for SIG? Uh, both companies are great. You know, um, SIG, SIG was going through a transition at a time. So it was, it was kind of hard to get some of the stuff that we needed, but you know, they had a lot of really good people there and had great equipment at the time. The stuff was top notch. Um, HK was a little bit different company. You know, that was more of a military focus than uh, SIG was at that time. So, you know, the guns weren't as competitive, but, you know, we spent all those years trying to develop something to win with. So it, it, it was fun. Lots of great people at HK, and, you know, good people at SIG, too. In 2012, Maria Harbin joined the HK Heckler & Koch shooting team. She was the first woman to do so. I believe you were the team captain when HK added its first woman mm-hmm. to, the, to the team. Yep. How did that come about? Uh, actually... <laughs> It's a funny thing. We weren't even looking for a female shooter at the time. In fact, we weren't really looking for anyone. And I ran into her at a match in, I want to say Alabama or somewhere odd like that. And she just happened to get on our squad. You know, it was, it was this tall, lanky girl with, you know, what was the top shooters in the area on the squad down there. And uh, she just had this natural ability. And I asked her, I'm like, how long have you been shooting? You know, thinking she was going to tell us five to six years. And she's like, well, this is my first match. So her very first match ever was, you know, a pretty complicated area match at the time. I think it was. So do you, do you still compete? Uh, I haven't really competed much this year, but I've managed to compete at least five or six major matches um, every year since I left HK. I kind of took about a three or four month break from shooting when I left HK and, and kind of worked on the business a little bit. And then um, then I finally just decided that, you know, I, I, I missed competing. And I didn't really have the time to put into it that I did when it was my job to get up every morning and go to the range and shoot and work out and then go back and shoot and go to sleep. But I figured out that the best thing for me to do is to target five to six major matches a year. I put all the time that I have into training for those things leading up to them. I go compete, get done, come home, go back to work. And for the most part, I feel like I'm as about as successful as I could be doing that. I asked Jason how he learned how to shoot so well. Um, it's not like you're born with the ability to shoot, but you're born with the ability to process information, understand techniques and methods and stuff like that. And then a lot of hard work. I mean, you, you always hear these crazy stories of these guys that spent, you know, all day at the range shooting, you know, three or 5,000 rounds a day or some crazy crap. And, I don't know that it helps or not. I mean, I know for a lot of time, especially in the early years, 2000 through about 2003, I had the luxury of as much ammo as I could stand. So, I mean, I would literally shoot 100 to 120,000 rounds a year. I mean, I worked hard. Um, I don't know that it made a difference, but I can assure you as far as rounds downrange, I put my time in. So, you know, it's one of those things, you know, I may have had a little bit of natural ability, but I had to put a lot of work in as opposed to other guys who have natural ability who have to put in very little work. What's the best advice you would give a new shooter? You know, you need to find the gun that fits you, um, find the ammunition, the holster, the whole, the whole thing, all the gear. You need to get all that stuff together and everything that just fits you and just train with it. You were, when you worked with uh, HK, you were involved in the design of one or more of their firearms. Is that right? Yeah, probably more specifically the VP9. VP9 was a um, was a shelved gun that we kind of resurrected there out of a need for a striker-fired pistol and uh, spent a lot of time with that thing. I have seen that gun go from 
a gun with the craziest features such as a round counter and and you name it to uh, what it is now and you know have tested every piece that's went into that gun what was important about that design important to me or important to HK well either I mean I think I think to HK that you know at the time the what was important to them is that they produced a gun that you know that they could sell to uh, the military and the law enforcement market that the civilian market would be interested in because if you look at the time that gun came out the civilian side of the things you know it's especially specifically in the US has been glock 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 and in competitive shooting it was glock on that side of the world and then all of a sudden uh, CZ you know you've got a hammer fired gun a double single gun similar to the P30L and stuff like that but the CZ was a true competition pistol and HK has never been a company that's marketed to the civilian market i mean it's not even in their culture to do so but that VP9 was an opportunity to get something in the hands of the commercial market that people actually wanted. You know, I think everybody had seen enough of the old hammer fired guns, you know, in, in 11 different configurations that really what they wanted was just the basic, everybody can shoot at striker fired gun. And that's the BP nine. And so you, you went from HK to, uh, to ammo. Um, how did that transition occur? The, the ammo thing, Danny Wisner, who owned Atlanta Arms and Ammo, was the first guy who said, look, this kid's got talent. Um, I want to do something to help him. So my unlimited ammo came from Danny Wisner. And um, through the years, you know, especially, you know, 2005, I was thinking, man, this guy's old. He's, he's got, I know he's going to want to retire one of these days. I'd love to buy this place. And I always used to joke with him about that, that he wasn't even anywhere close to retirement then. But I thought, you know, being young then that he's got to be close to retirement now. But anyway, we'd always talked about me, um, me buying that place and he's ready to retire. And it just kind of happened to work out that the timing of me walking away from shooting and Danny ready to finally retire kind of blended together. So it, it took a little bit of time and we figured out a way to make all that work and that's just where it went. But I had been so involved in that company for so many years. I mean, every person that works there, uh, that worked there then still for the most part works there. Now all of the old people not, and not old by age, but all the old school people, you know, are guys that I spent, you know, weekends with sitting there working on match ammo, you know, developing what was the, what was the best thing for my guns at the time. And a lot of the match ammunition market that got created in that place came out of a need of something that, you know, I needed for shooting, you know, they weren't known as a match ammunition manufacturer back in 2000, 2003. So just a slow transition. So ammo makes a difference. Ammo makes a huge difference. Um, you know, I, Obviously, you have to have a quality firearm, but if you don't have something that's clean, something that's accurate, something that's reliable, your gun, it doesn't make any difference. I have lost more matches because of ammunition issues over the years than I have uh, because of gun issues. So remanufactured ammo. What does that mean? I think it means something different for everyone. For us, for us, what it means is we have tried to take a used case and put it back as close to new specifications as we can. 
Um, a lot of folks, I think, when they think remanufactured, you know, they always hear the word or say the word reload, which just makes me cringe. This is not something we're doing in our garage. I mean, this is something that we do in a 28,000 square foot building where we are in there trying to recondition pieces back to like new condition. Obviously, they're never going to be the same as they were in their new, but when we get done with them, they're pretty close. Um, you know, and the remanufactured ammunition for most people is a great way to save some money over buying new. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that are conscious. I mean, if you could save 40, 50 bucks a case on training ammunition and you're a guy that's shooting 30,000 rounds a year, that means something. So to us, you know, the remanufactured thing, we take a lot of pride in what we do because we service a lot of our range customers with remanufactured products. But a lot of our competition shooters, you know, they will exclusively shoot that right up until match time. Most of them shoot it at match time. I mean, the last two national championships I won were both with remanufactured ammunition. I asked Jason what the real difference is between remanufactured ammo and new ammo. It, with us, our remanufactured, the same quality goes into the remanufactured as what goes into our new. I mean, we run it on the we run it on very similar machines. Um, we hold the same overall length tolerances, even though it's kind of mission impossible when you know your brass links are here or there. Uh, we weed enough of the brass out to where we can kind of control that to some degree, but we do everything the same. The inspection is the same. The testing is the same. I mean, we lot test every, every load of bullets that comes in our door, you know, to make sure that we're getting consistency. Um, same with the powder. We don't switch powder. We don't switch primers. But if you were to buy, say, our premium line of ammunition, it is an identical product to our remanufactured select line, except the cases are new. Interesting. So factory or new doesn't necessarily mean better. No, I, I can tell you not because, you know, I, I own the company, but I will take anything that you can go buy at, say, Walmart, you know, Winchester White Box or whatever, and, and we'll put it in a fixture at 50 yards. And I can I can guarantee you that our remanufactured product outshoots it. I asked Jason to tell me about his match ammo. It, it, it almost depends on what type of match shooting you're doing. But if, if you're doing some kind of run and gun thing, you know, typically folks will use, I would say 60% of the people will use a, an FMJ style product. FMJ refers to full metal jacket. The lead bullet, the top of the bullet, is encased in a separate harder metal, typically copper. This prevents lead from depositing itself in the barrel as it fires. It's an advantage for all shooters, but especially for high-volume shooters, those who like to practice in a range often, or shoot competitively. Jacketed hollow-point bullets have a hollowed-out area at the tip of the bullet. This causes the bullet to spread out when it strikes a target. It's used frequently in self-defense applications. Then I think the rest of them would use, like, you know, a jacketed hollow-point you know, round or something like that. I mean, you know, tip, some think one's more accurate than the other. You know, some people's guns like uh, one thing over the other. So the Army Marksmanship Unit and professional shooting teams, can you tell us uh, about some of the competitive shooting shooters and other organizations that are using your ammo? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think of any major championship uh, that's held in the U.S. for sure. I mean, I think we win almost everything in pistol and and some things in rifle typically we've been viewed more as a as a company that manufactures um, pistol ammunition but the amu for as long as i can remember has has relied on us to build their match ammunition for um, 
you know, various things, you know, whether it's their action pistol team, their service pistol team. Those guys have been very successful this year. Uh, all of the top shooters, you know, buy ammunition for us um, without going into names, you know, whether they put it in their company's box or they leave it in our box. I mean, I don't think anybody that consistently wins at the highest level uses anything else. And I've read U.S. Marine Corps, Coast Guard team. Give us a feel for some of the, the players out there who are Border Patrol. Um, Border Patrol has been has been a great partner of ours. I mean, we manufacture a, a couple products that, you know, for whatever reason, we figured out how to get them right when no one else really could for a number of years. Uh, we do a lot with Border Patrol. We do a lot with ICE. Uh, PPC teams all over, you know, law enforcement teams all over the United States. Now, there's some other organizations that use your ammo, too, not just the competitive shooters. You deal with uh, – can you tell us about any of those? We have, government we have some pretty players? special military folks that we do business with. Um, we service the secret uh, service with product, um, FBI, ICE. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, Marine Corps, you know, we, we got quite a few folks that we, that we sell ammo to a lot of law enforcement departments. I think we've got, I want to say between 80 and 85 law enforcement customers that we deal with, whether it's on training ammunition or duty ammunition. I mean, it's a pretty big list I mean, and it's a pretty proud accomplishment. I mean, you come from a background of, you know, being a competitive shooter, you know, it's important to me that the stuff that these guys get is the best. You know, even if even in our remanufactured stuff, you know, I want that to be better than what's out there, period, because I want to be able to walk in the shop on a Saturday when I'm running an hour and a half late and have to get to somewhere and grab the first thing that's convenient and know that I have a shot, you know, know that I'm not going to have to worry about ammo. So with any of that stuff, you know, there there's there's a pride in what we do. And, and you know, we're glad that we have the customers that we do that win the stuff the matches and the championships and the other things and the awards that they do with our product. So how long has the army marksmanship unit been using Atlanta arms ammo? Gosh, I couldn't even tell you. I would probably say is at least I can at least remember back to 2000. So what ammo do you use when you shoot competitively? It really depends. Um, I mean, I think, it, it depends on on what I'm shooting. You know, if I'm if I'm training for Bianchi Cup, then you know we have a nine one fifteen elite that I put that thing together back in '99, and it has become kind of like the staple of our of our uh, match ammunition. Um, I shoot a lot of nine one forty seven. I shoot a ton of that. But what I've been working on the past two years is like my secret squirrel project has been a nine millimeter one hundred thirty five grain. Uh, it kind of gives me the slide velocity that I like out of a 124, but it's soft like a 135. That's kind of like the new thing that I've been working on. But whereas I used to wear the poor Atlanta arms and ammo people out trying to get five feet per second or 10 feet per second or something, like I just felt like I had to have this. What I've really figured out over the years is that really doesn't matter that much. I mean, I have shot so many rounds of so many different kinds that I quit worrying about that. And now I, there's nothing special made for me. I mean, I grab what's ever, whatever's on the shelf. We have a guy that works for us, Sal Luna's top three production shooter in the world. I mean, he's the same way. I mean, literally anything that's a second, anything that makes it through inspection, but it's not good enough to sell. Uh, it gets shot up in practice. So, I mean, I, I think at this point, 
you know, we're not as picky until it's match day. So many people buy the cheapest ammo they can find. Uh, isn't ammo ammo? What what separates decent ammo from high quality ammo? Well, there's there's lots of things, and and to me that that is absurd because these are the same people that will go spend three thousand dollars on a handgun. You know, they'll buy a car that should have ninety three octane. They make sure that goes in there, but they won't spend the money on ammunition. And I don't say this because I'm in the ammunition business. It used to drive me nuts, even when we would do testing at HK, that, you know, the thought process was, you know, we need to get 30,000 rounds of this gun. We need to go find whatever's cheap and that we can get a bunch of, and that's what we'd use. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I kind of see it if you're, you're doing some endurance testing, you want to see what your gun runs with. But if you are a shooter and you're going to the range, you've made the investment in the gun, you've made the investment in the time to be away from your family, why would you go put the cheapest thing you can get through there? Do you, I mean, that's like saying, I just want to go shoot at 10 yards and I want to shoot an eight inch group instead of a two inch group. You know, I'd rather have the money in my pocket than to, you know, really train or, or really see what my equipment's capable of or what I'm capable of. And and ammunition is, you know, it creates the majority of the malfunctions in your gun. You know, it's, there's, there's lots of things, lots of contributing factors to malfunctions. But I mean, when I look at a malfunction that looks the same time after time after time, I am going to look at ammunition first. There's something about this that my gun doesn't like. So when you decide to, to manufacture ammo, when you use the, uh, the the quality process that you use, what's different about it? What's different about the ammo that you make versus what some might consider as less expensive and lesser quality ammo? I think there's there's lots of things that go into that. I mean, the fact that we still hand inspect every single round that comes out of that place, to me, is something that sets us apart. A lot of people do that. We have tried inspection equipment. Um, and what we found is the inspection equipment let a lot of things through that the ladies in inspection would have never let through there. You know, this stuff that ends up on our second shelf that, you know, most people can't find what's wrong with it. The inspection machine couldn't, but the ladies that have touched this stuff for the last 20 years certainly found an issue with it. That's, that's one thing. The consistency, you know, that we have with um, components, you know, we manufacture our own pistol projectiles in there. Those things, we test those things, you know, every time we run, whether the jacket material changes lead core material changes, anything happens, we are lot testing everything to get it exactly like the stuff we made last month. You know, there's there's lots of things that go into ammo that people just, you know, they just don't consider. I think everybody thinks you throw powder in it, cram a bullet in it and put it in a box and there you go. But, you know, there's a lot of time spent testing. And I'd say that that's what we do probably more than anybody else. I mean, we've got a guy in QAQC that spends, you know, the better part of a week sitting at a barrel fixture, just testing stuff. A bullet is actually the projectile, usually made of lead, that is at the end of a casing, often made of brass, which contains powder with a primer at one end. That's the end that the hammer of the gun strikes. It's the projectile that actually leaves the barrel of a gun when the powder explodes in the case. And your your primers, your powder, are they different? All American-made. I mean, we try to, everything we use, unless we have a contract that requires something special or a customer that requires something different, is is we try to use stuff 100% of the time made in America. So you sell ammo to ranges across the country, even in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a range that was having trouble with ammo before purchasing your ammo. What, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, that was a customer um, who they had bought, they had 
created a deal with a manufacturer up there where they were buying pallets at a time because they were buying it cheap. And uh, they were pretty excited to get this stuff because they had been without ammunition, you know, on a pretty consistent basis for probably four or five months, which as a range owner, you know how hard that is on your business. And uh, they got their first load in there and pulled the case open, gave it to their first customer. That customer bought a brand new uh, CZ Shadow 2, which at the time were made of unobtainium. You couldn't find those things anywhere. And uh, second round out of the box, squib. They clean that out, shoot another two or three rounds, squib. A squib is a bullet round that does not have enough powder charge to send the bullet down the chamber and out of the barrel. The bullet gets stuck in the barrel. This can be a very dangerous situation, both to the shooter and to the firearm. You know, before they get through the second box, they had their fist squib and finally blew that gun up. You know, and and to them, it didn't. It became to those guys at that point, they weren't so much concerned about prices they were before and availability. They wanted reliability. And that that was that's probably one of the easier sells that we've had to a range business, especially a range business of that size. That they dealt with that, you know, with a couple different vendors. You know, they had pretty similar issues with at least two vendors that I can remember, and I think three before we finally got back into doing business with those guys. So how does one choose the right type of ammo for their firearm? I know you, you've you worked with HK and with SIG, and they make recommendations. How does one choose what to put in a gun? I think a lot of it comes down to education at the stores and shops. You know, I I think it's on the guy's at the counter, it's their responsibility to understand every firearm they're selling. It's also their responsibility to talk with their customer enough to understand what their needs are, what their goals are for, you know, what they plan on doing with their, their firearm and, and pointing them in the right direction. You know, is this a guy that's capable of shooting a one inch group at 25 yards? If so, then he needs this kind of stuff. Is this a guy that's just going to come out here and shoot a hundred rounds every six months? Then he probably needs the lesser, expensive, you know, more of an FMJ style product or something like that, you know, to shoot. I think a lot of it comes down to folks at the counter. And I think, you know, manufacturers never recommend recommend any type of ammunition. And I mean, I can tell you for every gun manufacturer in the U.S., you know, that's a big name, we have manufactured product for them. That doesn't mean they recommend us. That just means that they buy the stuff because, you know, they know what they're getting. Um but I think it's about quality. And there's plenty of quality ammunition manufacturers out there. I by no means think that, you know, we're the only one. I mean, there's plenty of folks out there that make good stuff. And you can take a competitive shooter who's shooting ammo that's not the same quality. And what happens to that? What, what are the results that come from that? Uh, man, I can, I can tell you <laughs> firsthand. It, and I've thought about that question. I've been asked about that a number of times. And really, I've never had an answer. I've never had an answer that I've stuck to more than for six months, but I saw that last year. I mean, I unequivocally believe that I won national championship in Canada last year, just primarily because my ammo was better. I mean, had I think, you know, I had a lot of things working against me up there. I had worked hard, hard, hard for that match. You know, that would have been the third year in a row. I won that thing. And two or three days before I left, I broke my wrist. But I made the decision to go shoot the match anyway. I felt like that I could get through that. And if I couldn't, I would just come back home. But 
the guy that I really felt like the toughest competition, the dude shot a phenomenal match. He just had problems. Um, at the end of the second day, I think, or something like that. And, I mean, it just it, it just turned his gun into a chokomatic. And I think, barring that guy having ammunition issues, I don't think the results would have been the same. I mean, I think, I, I to me, I'm not – the only reason I'm proud of that national championship and I ever mention it to anybody is I shot that thing with a broken wrist. Um, and it was in my gun hand. It's not like it was my, my weekend. But – I still feel like I got away with one, you know. I mean, if my wrist hadn't been broke, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been close. I don't think, but it doesn't matter. I won by nine points, you know, over three days. So, I think to me, that's one of those places where ammunition definitely made a difference. What's hollow point ammo? I think it depends on who you ask. That's such a crazy question. You know, when I look at hollow point ammo, I don't ever look at that as, you know, some kind of defense stuff or, you know, whatever you want to see folks call it on TV. I'm like, okay, that has potential to be match ammunition because for the past 20 years, so much of my ammunition has been, I need this such and such hollow point for whatever reason I, you know, whatever shooting characteristic that I liked about it, you know, whether it was more accurate or it was consistent or I could do this or I could do that with it. I've never looked at hollow point ammunition really as a defense thing. You know, purely as a defense thing. To me, it's always been more of a match. It, I guess it depends on who you ask. If you go out there and ask some of your guys at the counter, the guys are going to tell you, well, that's defense ammunition. You know, they're not going to have the same definition of hollow point stuff that I am. What does it do that's different? Well, I mean, you know, the obvious thing it does over an FMJ is the thing expands. You know, you're not – there's there's only a couple FMJs out there that have an expanding nose on them. Uh, but hollow point ammunition, you know, when it's done right and it's used in the right circumstances, it expands every time. Now, on the match side of the thing, um, you know, there's lots of things that make hollow points shoot better than most FMJs. A lot of it has to do with, you know, the fact that the nose is hollow. The, that weight has to go somewhere. It goes in the body of the bullet. Well, the longer the body of the bullet, you know, the more contact it has with the rifling, and, you know, it tends to probably want to shoot a little bit better. But then there's some other things that happen with air in front of the nose of that bullet that also help with its accuracy that you won't get in an FMJ. Subsonic ammo. What What is subsonic ammo and how is it different? Subsonic ammo. We get this. We I, I bet we field this phone call twice a week at the shop. Um, subsonic ammo, it's simple. It's, you know, it's an ammunition that's going slow enough that it doesn't break the sound barrier when it exits the barrel. Uh, and depending on a lot of things, you know, that's the, the easy thing to, to remember is just below a thousand feet. And we make, uh, we manufacture subsonic ammo, whether it's in nine millimeter, you know, whether it's in 147s and, and we do stuff all the way up to uh 762 or 308 in a 220 grain sub. I mean, so we manufacture lots of subsonic products that we don't necessarily advertise. But the big thing is, is, you know, you got to remember a good rule of thumb is this thing's got to be going less than a thousand feet per second and, you know, have a suppressor. And, and, and that's attractive to whom? What, why do people buy subsonic ammo? Well, for uh, specifically down here, you see lots of folks with suppressors. I mean, when, when we go visit ranges and stuff like that, I mean, it's, it, it is almost every trip that there's, one, if not multiple people shooting a handgun or a rifle with a suppressor. Um, and if you think about it, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, I would not recommend shooting my gun without hearing protection, but if I'm going to take something out and I don't have, 
anything with me, you know, and I've got my little 300 blackout, I'm probably not scared to put a can on it and shoot one round through it or something like that. I mean, the, the whole idea of, you know, the, you know, having a suppressed weapon and something's not making a lot of noise is, is, is pretty cool. And it's fun for a lot of people. Uh, we don't allow steel ammo on our range, uh, steel casings or steel core. Um, we, we do that because it damages uh, our targetry yeah. equipment. But I also understand steel's not terribly good for guns. Is that true? Uh, no. I mean, you, you know, you got steel on steel con. It, whether it's steel core, we've seen, we had some stuff that came into the shop uh, that a guy tried to sell us that was uh, imported. And I don't remember it's Chechnya or somewhere like that, but the jackets of the projectiles were made of, of steel. And he said, but it's a soft steel. Well, it's steel on steel contact. Obviously, that's not good. Uh, there's been some folks that's made some steel cased ammo with success that they've coated that hasn't been too awfully bad on chambers. But for the most part, man, it is not good for your stuff. So if you have a, a really nice firearm, not there the- is no chance that I'm putting steel anything. I don't care who made it in my stuff. Um, I struggle. I have struggled in the past using aluminum case stuff. Uh, not that, you know, it's horrible, but there's things that happen, you know, that stuff gets sticky inside the chamber. Um, there's just, you know, lots of little issues with there that I don't think people understand. What other things do you think people don't understand about ammo? What do you find you need to educate most about? It really depends on who you're talking to, but I think for the most part, folks think that if they go somewhere like Walmart or cheaper than dirt or you name it, wherever these places are where you go find what you know you consider a bargain, I think they think that all ammo is created equally. And that's not the case. I mean, you don't see a guy pulling up to uh, the Bianchi Cup <laughs> and whipping white box out of his car. You know, that's that's not what those guys are using. Um, you know, you don't see the best dudes that walk planet earth, you know, who, who keep us safe every day, walking around, carrying whatever American Eagle. I mean, I'm just naming names. I don't have anything against these guys, but you know what I'm saying? The kind of stuff that you typically see at Walmart or at, you know, cheaper dirt or somewhere that moves, um, ammo at, you know, low prices. I mean, you just, you don't see it. Uh, and I think, people that really care about what they're doing, they, they spend the time to educate themselves on the differences between ammunition. I think for, you know, most of the folks, the run of the mill guy, they're just looking for the cheapest stuff they can get. They can go shoot a bunch of, and most folks don't even shoot a bunch of it. I mean, the guys that usually go out and buy big quantities of cheap ammo are guys that usually keep a lot of it at their house. That's what I've learned. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you doing this. No problem. All right. Thanks. This is Ken Bay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bullet Points.